Welcome to the Sons of Technology Clubhouse. Ditch your fear at the door, take a risk, and enjoy the ride with your hosts, Joe Marquez and Kyle Anderson. Welcome, everybody, to another fantastic episode of the podcast by the Sons of Technology. Now, we are a little bit late with this episode, and we'll talk a little bit about that and why. But before we get started, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. My name is Joe Marquez. I'm an educator out of the Central Valley of California. I am also currently the Director of Academic Innovation for Q. And if you are on the Twitters, you can find me at Joe Marquez 70. And as always, my partner in innovation, Kyle. Kyle, please introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. This is Kyle. I am a special education teacher out of Las Vegas, Nevada. You can find me on the Twitters and Instagram at Anderson EdTech. I have a blog that's a little neglected right now at AndersonEdTech.net. And I am also the author of To the Edge Successes and Failures Through Risk Taking. And you can find that on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, and also through my publisher, Edumatch Publishing. And yes, we are about a week late with this one. Um, we have been consistent for the entire existence of this podcast every two weeks. And sometimes they get out a little bit later on the Saturday by early afternoon, but they're always been out there on the Saturday. And this past week, it did not happen. So on Saturday, and I'm taking the fall on all this. This is not Joe. This is all on me why this happened. So Last Saturday, I was working with some of my coworkers on some things that we've been working on for our school website for a few months. So we were given a directive to build some things on career pathways for the school website. And we thought we had till the end of September to get it done. And our principal came to us and said, can you have that by Tuesday? And we're like, well, that gives us a week to get it done. So Basically, we arranged it to where we just met at my house and I threw some ribs and pork shoulder on the smoker and we got it done by early afternoon and we had a great day. The next day, after not sleeping for a week because it was the first week of school back with students and just not feeling great because of that, I text Joe and I said, hey, can we maybe push this to the afternoon? And he said, yeah, no problem. So we were going to get it out on Sunday. Well, then afternoon rolled around and I had been sleeping off and on for about six hours. And I'm like, dude, this isn't happening. So, well, let's just plan to do this next weekend. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, this is expected, especially uh, with the transition back to you actually going into work. Right. Um, doing, uh, you know, doing what we normally did in the past, traveling to work, working with students, working with, closely with our fellow educators. But in the past year, that was not the case. So it's almost like a reintroduction to the campus. Can you tell us a little bit about that reintroduction, the good, the bad, the happy? You know, tell, tell, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, you say reintroduction. I'm just going to call it an introduction because this past year was my first year at that school. And while I did go in and work, in a hybrid setting for the last couple of months of school, didn't have a lot of kids. I don't really count that really because I, I wasn't able to go classroom to classroom and meet my coworkers, meet the handful of students that were there. We, we really were just kind of, well, quarantined to our classrooms for the most part. So this year rolls around and it's quote unquote back to normal where my school has 3,500 students. We have 3,500 students on campus. We're all back 100%. For the most part, um, most of my coworkers have returned. 
Um, and I say most of them because we, we have some openings right now. So if you are looking to get a job in Las Vegas, there are probably close to a thousand teacher openings in the city right now because many of my coworkers for various reasons left the profession, moved to another place, moved to another school. We even had teachers that quit after the first week of school. They're just like, can't do it. Like this, this is not something that I can continue to do. So we are very short staffed right now. Um, but overall, for the most part, it's been great. You know, seeing kids like actual human beings again has been awesome. But at the same time, it is grueling because having done it in a year and a half, working from home, I was able to do a lot of things like sleep in right up until the last second if I absolutely had to. And now that's not the case. And it was exhausting. Hence why last weekend after, well, really working a six day with my coworkers, taking Sunday to just take care of myself. I mean, we talk about that a lot on this podcast about self-care and taking care of yourself. And uh, I definitely did that last week. Yeah. And, and you know, the, re-acclimating to the, uh, the, the idea of having to wake up and to maybe get your exercise in if you have time to do that, get yourself ready to be seen by other people from head to toe, traveling in your car to commute to your campus, uh, and then walking into a building. While that all seems like normal in the past year, it wasn't, right? And so it is trying to get back into that routine uh, uh, in order to get back into the headspace of being the best educator that you possibly can be. Can you can you talk a little bit about um, like the, the exciting parts of being back in person and then maybe some of the things that you wish the pandemic had changed a little bit, like based on things that you were able to do at home or based on routines you were able to create with yourself and students and staff in the home environment, things that you wish you would see the physical and, uh, environment adapt to based on those different changes. Well, like I mentioned, seeing actual human beings has probably been the best part. So we're, we're still in a pandemic and social distancing is supposed to happen, but it, let's be honest, it's not, it can't, we don't have the physical space for it. So I have classes of 35 students and I have to have them near one another. I don't have the space to do it any other way. So that part is frustrating. Um, with the mask mandate where I'm at, it's not been an issue thus far with the students at least. So you get every now and then mask comes down a little bit, ask a student to pull it back up and the, it hasn't been an issue yet with that. So now as you see on various news media outlets around the country, it's definitely a big deal to some parents. So, and I'm, I'm not going to get onto this. I definitely have opinions about this and I'm not going to get into it uh, on this show. But um, so that part's frustrating. It's concerning. Um, we did have one school where I'm at that had to go to a distance learning for the next three weeks because they had so many cases be between students and staff at that school. So I'm concerned that we may have to end up returning to something like that if it continues that way. But overall, so far, it feels like it used to. And I'm fortunate where I'm working with a co-teacher where we're taking what we learned from pandemic learning and trying to apply it to what we're doing to in-person now. Um, but that may not necessarily be the case with everybody. Some teachers may be looking at this as, oh, now we're back. Now let me, let me just go back to what I was doing before. And what they were doing before may have been okay, but after a year and a half of this, it it may not be okay at this point. 
No, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there, there, there was a lot of things that could have been better about distance learning or hybrid learning uh, during last year, but there's also a lot of great things that did occur from it and a lot of great advancements that we saw teachers utilizing education technology to engage um, and enhance their instruction. And, you know, we are truly blessed that teachers are still utilizing those tools. Like, I mean, not, not like forcing them in, but finding a way to blend them into that class room uh, in that face-to-face -face environment. It's been amazing, but you're right. You know, it's, it's unfortunate that some teachers saw the technology as this, uh, like the reason it didn't work. So they want to put everything away and kind of go back to what they were doing. And it's really up to us on campus uh, to encourage the teachers to continue trying and evolving and um, uh, innovating on how they engage students in their classroom. Because I'll tell you, students who are used to using technology more and more who are forced to then use, you know, worksheets, um, you're going to start getting that as a rebellion. Like, I don't, I, why are we doing it this way when we were proven we can do it another way? So I think for the betterment of the students, we just have to make sure that we're utilizing the best tool at the right time for the right purpose, right? Uh, you, you should never force technology into a lesson just, just for the sake of using technology. Uh, but we should also not use technology because you don't want to use it. We, we got to find that happy medium right there um, in that. Also, you know, in communication, right? Uh, and, and that's basically what we're going to talk a little bit about in this episode is how can we take some of the communication models that we saw uh, with between staff, between administrators, between our school community and parents, how can we bring that into this face-to-face -face environment a little bit more. And we'll talk about the pros and cons of some of these different tools. But before we do that, I wanna say, um, this past week was my first week of being a father of a kindergartner. And I absolutely loved this, because you know I, I taught uh, in uh, eighth grade science for 10 years. And I just love the idea of students um, coming my way, you know, uh, that have siblings that I've taught before, or when I saw siblings that were in kindergarten, knowing that they would pass through my classroom, just that journey is an amazing story to me. And whenever I saw students in my classroom, I imagined their journey starting at kindergarten and all the amazing experiences, the sad experiences, the good, the bad they've had. And I'm, I get that as an eighth grade student in my classroom. Uh, and I know that my daughter is going to have that journey, is going to have that growth, is going to have that story by the time she gets to eighth grade. And to be there at the forefront of that story for somebody was an amazing experience, especially having that somebody be your firstborn child. And, you know, the wave of emotions, of happiness, of anxiety, uh, a lot of things crept through my mind. Um, but main thing, I just wanted her to have a good experience, right? I wanted her to have a good experience. And she's coming home every day saying she's having a great time. And she's coming home singing her songs that they're learning in class. She came, came home and told me all about the rules that they learned about and things like that, which I thought was fun. Um, and she's been actually coming home asking if we can play school. And she's writing her name on a little card and putting it on her and asking me to write my name. And she's running classes and stuff. It's I just she's enjoying it. And that that's the that's the big part 
that I'm super excited about is that she's enjoying her education thus far. Um, and uh, it just gives me a, a new um, appreciation for teachers on the other side from being a teacher and knowing parents now being the parent and not wanting to be like an overbearing parent asking the teacher questions every day. I have to be able to, uh, you know, kind of hold myself back. Like I find myself wanting to email the teacher every day. How's my daughter doing? How's she doing today? Did she, is she, and I have to realize, you know, if parents did that to me every day, that can get a little bit overwhelming. And if I'm thinking about it, but holding back because I was a teacher and knowing that that daily communication was difficult for a teacher to handle, there's probably a whole bunch of parents emailing every day asking how their kid is doing. So I hold back based upon that. But the, the big reason that I want to ask that question is because I thrive for communication. I want to know what's going on in the classroom. I want to know what my daughter is learning. I want to know what their routines are. I want to know all that stuff so that maybe I can reinforce those things at home as well. Um, that's why I think communication is essential between the teacher and the parent. And I think complete transparency about what's going on in the classroom needs to happen. I need to know the songs that you are singing. I need to know the curriculum you are doing or plan to do that week. Because again, I want to reinforce that at home. And if I don't know what you're doing in the classroom, if I don't know what's happening in the classroom, if I don't know what you're doing, I can't do that. I have to rely on a five-year-old to give me a complete story, which is not going to be a complete story. So like in my mind, like I was, I was thinking about, I, I went on uh, a, a 10 mile walk this morning just to kind of clear my head from the week of, 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 of everything. And I'm thinking to myself, should I, <laughs> and I know I shouldn't, but I think, should I offer <laughs> to show this kindergarten teacher a few ways that she could easily communicate with parents, um, and easily show what they're doing in class without any adding any extra workload? Or is that not my place? And that's the quandary I'm at, where I, I know that my training in education technology can be a benefit, but then as a parent, do I want to do that? And so I'm, I, I, man, it's, 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 it's very, um, I don't wanna say frustrating, but it's, it's, I, I have this yin and yang happening in my head right now like what should i do what are your what are your thoughts on that kyle i liken this to people that coach their kids in the sport that they play and i can see how one side of it would be they want to be able to teach their child the the sport the way they were they learned it and to help them along the way but at the same time can be very overbearing so i almost look at this situation as the same way I'm one of those people that I, I swear I will never coach my kid, no matter what sport it is, no matter how much I love that sport, no matter what I feel I can contribute, I'm never going to coach my kid because I don't want to um, blur any lines there. So in this situation, if I'm in your shoes, I'm looking at it in the same lens. I don't want to blur that line between parent and um, teacher, technology, uh, guru, whatever you want to call it at this point. That's just me personally. So I feel that if you built a good relationship with that teacher, maybe you could have that conversation, but 
coming in guns blazing saying like, Hey, you should do this, whatever may not be the best approach to it. And I'm not saying that's what you were going to do, but at the same time though, if that's already running through your mind that maybe you are getting ready to do something like that. So, but yeah, me personally, I'm going to, I'm going to keep that line in the sand where it is and just keep both sides on it. So uh, the communication I've had with my kids' teachers so far, we met them in person at a quick meet and greet before school started. And then we have uh, done some email or class dojo communication back and forth. But uh, other than that, we haven't really done too much. So both of my kids are um, doing, they, they did very well through distance learning and uh, achieved very, very well. And my daughter is, she's in fourth grade now and she's definitely holding her own. And my son, he's in first grade and uh, his biggest complaint so far was uh, after the third day he comes home, he goes, there's too many rules. I just wish we could stop talking about rules and start talking about stuff we can actually learn or whatever. So I appreciated that. I'm like, ah, boy. So um, yeah, you got that punk rock attitude at, at six years old, you know, the, just bucking the system and the rules. I love it already. So, but um yeah, so that reminds we, me of that of that Simpsons quote, right? He's like, I've had it up to here with your rules. <laughs> yeah. So, but that communication piece is the key part of what your thinking is right now. So, and there's a lot of different ways that parents and teachers can communicate with one another. But at the same time, though, there are so many of them, you can overwhelm people as well. So we need to emphasize that. If you're going to try something, stick with it and don't try a whole bunch of different ways. So the last thing I want to do, if I was to go on to an email from my kid's teacher and see eight different ways to contact them, well, which one is going to be the quickest way to get to you? That's what I want to know. So what are your thoughts, Joe? Well, you know, one of the sparks of this conversation, why I wanted to have it was because of a kind of a little kind of conversation that uh, the EdTech Army was having in the EdTech Army channel on Twitter. And, and that was, are websites, are teacher websites still relevant, right? And, and the reason that question came up was because there was one member of our group that said that, that you know, their, their school is mandating this, their teacher website must be updated every week. So every end of the week, it must be updated with the most current information. And on the outset, you know, just when you think about it at first, you're like, well, okay, that, that's so parents can be aware of what's going on in the classroom. But then you have to realize, is the teacher already putting all that information into an LMS that the school is using? Is, is the teacher already using another communication tool to, that goes more to the parents than having the parents having to go to the website? And so is the, is, is the website an archaic form of communicating um, to the point where maybe it shouldn't be, you must have this thing updated every week. You just must, you must have communication to your parents every week. But then it goes to what you're talking about, Kyle. If you're giving every teacher the autonomy to choose their own way of communicating with parents and you are just one of six teachers that kid has, now the parents are having to, go through a litany of different communication tools just to get information about their one child. Now multiply that by four children. And now you just have over 20 teach. So it can get very, very frustrating for parents. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I had a conversation with parents one time when I was trying to figure out the best way to communicate with parents. Uh, I, I asked the parents point blank at back to school night, what is the most frustrating thing about communications 
uh, about your students learning. And they said flat out, they said, when teachers say in an email, when I email a teacher and then the teacher says, it's on my website, right? And that's all the teacher will give, give me because it's on my website. And the parent said, you know, that's all well and good if I have one child in elementary school. That's one, that's one teacher. She goes, but I have four kids, two in high school, one in junior high and one in elementary. That is 19 different websites. You're asking me to check every week just so I can get an insight of what my students are doing. And they made sure they prefaced it with, I'm not a helicopter parent. I'm not doing it to helicopter over my students' learning. I just want a window into what my student is learning or has to do, or is there a big project coming up? Because we have something in a family that we're doing. I want to make sure that they're uh, you know, spending their time doing that so I'm not surprised at the end. And she goes, that is the worst. And I said, well, what would be better? She goes, something that came to me. Like if she, she goes in, in, in a perfect world, if there was one email with a short blurb on everything my kids had to do from one location, that would be a dream. And I, and I was thinking to myself nowadays, isn't that what an, a school LMS system kind of does now? Like the parent has a portal and all of their students who are using that LMS are in that portal and you should be able to see all those things. So I think now, when you think about it, when you think of that parent with 19 different teachers for all of their students, yes, the website is an archaic form of communicating. Um, so what tools are out there? What can we do where the parents have a one-stop shop of everything or something where the information goes directly to the parents in their, in their number one form of communicate? Um, so what, do you, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I agree about the website. That was something that 10, 12, 15 years ago was something that was an effective communication tool because we didn't have these other tools that we're going to talk about now. We didn't have Remind. We didn't have Class Dojo. We didn't have uh, S'more, the newsletter uh, program. We, we didn't have these things 10, 12 years ago. So by having a website, you had a place where a parent could access email, a phone number, Okay, some other form of communication. But even then, there really wasn't too many forms of communication. It was much more limited then. But now, sometimes you go to a teacher website, and then they have, on a contact tab, they have eight different ways to get a hold of them. And that's just not realistic because I know for me, I don't even like giving a phone number out because most people in this day and age, they don't like calling. I'm one of those. I don't like calling people, so I would much rather text. So if I am going to give a phone number out, I give it out with the instructions to text that number instead and not uh, and not call the number because, again, I'm not going to be able to uh, answer a phone call during class. So the school where I work at, there's no cell service inside anyway. The school was built in the 1960s. So I jokingly say that it was built to withstand a nuclear blast because the walls are so thick uh, and blocks all the cell phone coverage. So. Uh, so that's one thing there. Like I said, I don't I don't like to give the phone number out because nobody's going to call anyway. Email is something I will share, but even email. A lot of parents don't use email. So they're required to have an email address on file to register their kid for school through our um, system that we use, the student information system. But a lot of times those emails are wrong. They don't work because they shut them down or they mistype them into the system or whatever it may be or parents just don't check email at this point. So 
the best way a lot of times to get a hold of a parent or to get them information is to use whatever LMS or student information system that your school district is using. So for me, that's Canvas for our LMS and we have Infinite Campus for our student information system. And there's communication tools through those where parents can get accounts for them. So I believe it's Parent Portal for Infinite Campus and then an Observer account in Canvas to where you can directly contact parents through those. You can send out announcements through them. Uh, I like to use that function in Infinite Campus where it emails and sends to the campus portal accounts that the parents have set up. So that way they can use one or the other. It's their choice at that point. And they're not tied to whatever that teacher says that they're going to use. So I just have to make sure whenever I create a message in Infinite Campus that I click both the parent contact uh, through portal and then through the email. And then I always add the students on there as well for a message I'm sending to parents because maybe the parent doesn't have either one of those. Then the student can at least get it too and then possibly pass that along to the parents. So I used to use Remind, but it got to the point where you have to get people to sign up for that. So you can talk to them at back to school night about signing up for it. You can send home papers with the instructions on how to set it up. But in the it got to the point where the first year or two I was using it, I was getting a good 30 to 40 parents that were signing up for it. But then it got to the point where I was getting like maybe five. And at that point, I'm like, why am I going to take time out of my day to set up a message to go out to five parents? So I just I stopped using it at this point. So if it's a tool that you use and it's effective for you, by all means, continue to use it. This is not a podcast where we're telling you what you need to do. So if, if Remind is something you use, use and use effectively, that's great. That's just a tool that does not work for me at this point anymore. And you know what I would say? You know, I, so I used Remind quite a bit. I got more buy-in with Remind from my students than with, with my parents, right? And so, you know, in this communication discussion, you know, different tools work better for different uh, groups of people. So you may use one tool to communicate with your parents because they get more buy-in for that one tool. Like you could say, you know, uh, Canvas. But then you might use another tool for your students because that's the one they have more buy-in. So, and I think the benefit of Remind for students is this. Number one, you're not giving your students your phone number. You're not getting your students' phone number, but you can have them sign up right then and there in class. Uh, you know, when, when you say, okay, kids, take out your cell phone, sign up for this right now. This is how you do it. And you get, you give them time to do it. And you send out that first message and ask them, what did I, what, what was that first message so that they would be signed up for it? I mean, some would say I have to go home and ask my parents first kind of deal, but I would tell you, I would get 98% of my students signed up for remind by doing it in class. And that was awesome. Uh, because it goes right to their phone. I did not have them download the Remind app. I said, don't worry about it. It's just going to go straight to your text. Um, and they would be able to get all the information that I wanted them to have. I would go into my Remind dashboard and I would go, I would go through the entire year when I knew the exams were, the unit exams were, I would have it text the Friday before to remind the students, don't forget we have a test next week. And I would auto set that. And so I would set it and forget it like that Ronco guy set it and forget it. I would do that. And it was all done. I loved remind for my students. OK, 
Okay. I loved remind for my staff. I had a remind for my staff called uh, um, um, about tech tips that they would sign up for my tech tips on remind and go right to their phone. Uh, we had the administrators set it up because again, a lot of teachers didn't check their email, but darned if they didn't check their phone in class, I'm telling you, but, and they'd get that. Right. So we had the staff sign up for the remind with the caveat. We promise no spam text messages to you teachers. And we got goodbye in that way. But again, we had them all sign up for it during a staff meeting. Right. So we did, you gave them time to do it. You're not going to get that buy-in with parents. I mean, you could try to do it at back to school night. Right. But how many parents actually go to back to school night? That's another thing. Um, the parents who probably checked their email are the ones that would go to back to school night. So, you know, it, it came to the point where I'm like, okay, remind works for my staff. Remind works for my students. Remind does not work for my parents. So what do I need to do? Right. And that's where that investigation goes. And here's the thing. As a teacher trying to get information to parents, you really have to be in the mindset of a marketer, like a marketer trying to get your message out to the public, that's kind of the mindset you have to have as a teacher trying to get your stuff out to the parents, right? And so I did a little research and the research was that uh, cell phone text messages uh, are opened up 98% of the time, 98% uh, compared to only 20% of all emails sent, right? So imagine that if you're sending out an email, you're only hitting 20% of your parents. But if you sent out a text, you're hitting 98% of your parents. Now, here's this. What about, uh, what about the time it takes to read those? A text message is read in about 90 seconds on average. After a text message is sent, that message is read in about 90 seconds for all Americans. And uh, a text message, I'm sorry, an email uh, is open probably 90 minutes after it's sent. Right. And so if you're talking about communique, a text message is the best way to go. But again, you want to make sure you're not over texting your parents and you have to find an easy way to text your parents. But I just wanted to give you that mindset because you can't just say, well, I send parents emails. It's it, it's really up to us, the teacher, to find the best way to communicate with the parents, not just say this is my way. And I'm sorry if you're not opening up your email. Right. I mean, there. You, you you have to find that middle ground of what else can I do? Well, and some may be listening right now. Text messages are all great and everything, but I don't want to give out my personal phone number through a text message. So now the alternative to that, and there's a couple of great other things along with this, is using something like Google Voice. So I have a phone number set up through Google Voice where it functions just like a regular phone number. So I have an app on my phone for Google Voice where I can send text messages. I can make and receive calls using that phone number through the Google Voice app. So those will come through. I have it set up to where if a, a phone call comes through, it'll ring through to my phone just like a normal phone call would, but it'll show on the screen Google Voice call, not just my standard phone call. So I'll know that it's coming through. It's a school related thing when that number comes through. Uh, because I mean, we're all like this at this point. Now you look at your phone when it rings and you see a number you don't recognize. The first thing you do is hit ignore 99% of the time. 
Um, I have it to where it's set up with um, my phone. I have a Google Pixel 5 where it has the Google Assistant. I hit screen call if I don't recognize it. And then Google Assistant will say, hi, you've reached so-and-so. Who? What are you calling for? And then 98% of the time, that person hangs up because they're a spam bot trying to call. So with the Google Voice app, it'll come through and show you Google Voice. So that way you know if someone is calling you on that number, it's going to be something school related, So, which is really nice. Now, I have the text messages set up where it comes through just in the app. I don't have them come through to my regular messages app on my phone. So I can differentiate between the two. So it's really nice having that because not only can I use my phone to make the calls or to send the text messages, but you can also use the web version of it to where if I want to make phone calls on my computer, I could just put in a pair of earbuds, plug in a microphone, and then I can make a phone call through the Google Voice app. I can do all my text messaging through that as well. So because so many of my parents speak a language other than English, I have the Google Translate app open up right next to it, type in my message in there. I send it in English and Spanish, English and Vietnamese, whatever it may be as a text message. And while I don't get responses all the time, and that could be for a litany of reasons, it could be the phone numbers are incorrect or because the phone was shut off for whatever reason, or could be any other reason, but I get a lot more responses from parents when I text message than I do from phone calls and emails. So that Google voice number, it's something it's free to sign up for through your Google account. So um, your school district Google account may or may not allow you to do so. I have one set up through my personal account in order to do that. Um, I do have my phone number I use is the area code for Northern Nevada because uh, I set it up when I was living there and I've been looking to, I, I've been thinking about switching over to more of a local number where I'm at. Um, it is a $10 fee to transition to a new phone number once you have one, which I just need to do it at this point. But at the same time, so many of my parents, especially on my caseload already have my old phone number and I'm not sure I want to change the number because of that. So I've been holding on to my 775 number and not switching to a 702 as a result of that. Well, I, and I think that's that's logical not not to switch. I mean, most people now know that phone numbers can be for life, right? I mean, it used to when you had to change carrier, you had to change numbers and all those problems started happening. But when they said, OK, you can keep your number for life, even when you change carriers, it belongs to you unless you want to get rid of it. Um, I think that's become more accepting. Uh, to, 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 to individuals. The only reason I'm really thinking about changing is because again, with the whole, you see a number you don't recognize. If you see a number from an area code, that's not where you live, that you're more apt to, to ignore that. And that's kind of what I've been leaning towards. So, but yeah, I've had the same phone number now for 16 years and my parents, they, they lived in Illinois for a short time and get, they got phone numbers for cell phones there. And they lived in California and then now moved back to Michigan and they kept their Illinois phone numbers. So, you know, you keep those things for life now for sure. Yeah. Unless you get spammed constantly, right? Which I guess everybody's doing that. So it doesn't matter what phone number you have. Uh, plus you gotta, you gotta recognize if you're getting a phone number, that means somebody got rid of it for a reason. <laughs> and so you might, you might be in for a whole bunch of problems when you get a new phone number. Um, I won't even tell you that what happened when I, when I got a new phone number for my previous job, that, that was not good getting calls at three in the morning asking for services. Uh, but anyways, um, we, we, we're, we're forgetting also about the world that we live in of social media, 
right? Social media is a great way to get a hold of parents. Now, that's that's another bag of worms just because not every parent has this has the same social media preference if they use it. But creating a classroom page in Facebook is is has been a good option I've seen just because because and people are like, "Wait a minute, isn't that just like another web page?" Well, web pages people actually have to type in this new URL and go there. Whereas in Facebook, parents can follow your class page and be notified when there are changes. And if they are a Facebook person, that fits into their routine. So they're not going to some new place for new information. They're just following along there. Um, so that's something to consider. And I've seen a lot of teachers do that. Uh, just be very mindful about keeping student privacy in check when you're doing that. It's just for classroom information. Um, and then also you're, you decide if you want to leave comments on or off. But uh, th that's a, a conversation that you can have. Can you have a Facebook class page um, if the majority of your parents are on Facebook? That's a question that you can ask your, your administration, your school district, if that's a possibility. Um, just because social media has become, you know, one of the number one dominant forms of news, information, and communique um, in these last 10 years, why not utilize the power of social media to stay in constant contact with your, with your parents as well? So that's an option. Have you have you tried using social media, Kyle, to uh, to get information out there to parents, students, and and what have you? I haven't because I just feel that it's just more work that I have to do because you do have to take the time to do it. Um, so whether it's a Facebook page, it's an Instagram account, or a Twitter account, um, and, and like you said, it's it's really what the parents are on too. So and we're getting to a point where. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not on things like TikTok or Slip, Slipchat, Snapchat. <laughs> so I don't know why I thought Slipchat. So I'm not on those ones, but a lot of the parents are. So I don't feel it necessary to go out and create something and have to put in the work to keep it updated just to get another way of communication out there. Because again, like we've kind of mentioned a little bit already about keeping it simple and keeping it down to one or two key ways to communicate. Now, all of a sudden you're talking about, you want to incorporate social media. There's five or six different social media apps you could use right now. And now you're back up to like those eight different things. And that can be overwhelming for somebody. Yeah. And, and the last thing we want to do is add more to the teacher's plate. Right. And so I, I, I'm with you 100 percent, which segues into a routine that I had shown a lot of teachers across the country if they're utilizing Google Classroom. So I showed them uh, what I would do in my classroom that really opened up how I communicate with my parents, but didn't add anything extra onto my plate. It actually took things away. And so what I would do is um, I had a template, a post template for my Google Classroom called Daily Agenda. And uh, on that daily agenda, it says, please read uh, the, the agenda below. And if you understand what I'm asking from you today, uh, please mark this uh, assignment as done. And I, I put the agenda out as an assignment so I can, I can see them mark it as done. That was the very first thing they did every morning. But here's the thing. Because I made it as an assignment, it automatically populates a calendar, a calendar, um, uh, uh, entry. 
And then you can go into your Google Calendar that every Google Classroom creates a Google Calendar. Um, and then every assignment creates an entry. I went in and made that viewable to the public. And then um, I put that on my school webpage. And so everything populated that webpage every day without me touching it. And then I showed the parents, if you click that plus calendar button in the bottom right-hand corner, this will add my class calendar onto your mobile device. And now you, it comes to you. You never have to visit the website ever again. It comes to you. And I had a lot of parents buy into that because they were just, all they had to do was open up their phone and they can see the daily agenda from my class. Um, and, and that I, I didn't have to do anything to the website. I didn't have to do anything to anything after that. It was just my daily routine. And so we called that the classroom calendar, um, little hack daily agenda hack that we did. And, uh, uh, there's a, a few schools that implemented that as their communique home to parents. Um, and by the way, um, all, all the, all the requirements of writing the daily agenda on your whiteboard that went away as well because the students now had it physically in front of them and you knew they read it because they had a market is done. Uh, and the cool thing about it was this, if there was ever anything due and a student says, I didn't know that was due. Well, you marked it on the agenda yesterday that you understood that this was due. So you marked it. Oh, I don't read that whole thing. Well, now you need to. I mean, it, it allowed me to really emphasize reading instructions or reading things before you put your signature on it. Right. And we go into whole terms of service contracts and stuff for all the social media about that stuff that nobody reads. But I tell the kids it's important before you physically press a button that acknowledges you read something that you've actually read it. Uh, otherwise, some bad things can happen in your life. And so that gets them to utilize that. So life skill as well. But I loved it because it saved me time. It saved me time. I just posted it in classroom and my communique was done from there. Um, so that's what we're talking about. How can you utilize something you use every day, but take things away you don't have to do anymore? And that's that's what we started doing. It worked really, really well. Yeah, for sure. And then I know a lot of teachers also with their beginning of the year here, I, I would like to get some information from you, some ways to get a hold of you, whatever. So it was usually a piece of paper they sent home, had the parents fill out, return, signed, so on and so forth. But a lot of teachers have now shifted more to a digital thing, like something like a Google form or something like that. Well, now you're talking where you can connect different add-ons in Google forms in order to communicate automatically when a form submission is made. So I know, Joe, you've talked about it before. I'm going to have you talk about it again, the form that you had that triggered every time uh, with, I, I believe you were using a form mule, if I remember correctly. Um, but there's different add-ons out there that when a submission comes in through a, a Google form, you can have it just automatically, thank you very much for contacting me. I will be in contact with you within the next 24 hours to further address your concerns. Something of that nature can be automatically triggered. Um, or if you've got a form submission that goes through where you would like to send them like a physical document, you can actually trigger to send a physical document in a PDF form out to them as well. So, but, um, you, uh, again, were somebody that used this in the past and had a very effective system of communication that way. So um, I don't remember what episode was in that you've talked about, but I know you have. So, but let's just rehash that again, what you were doing in the past. Yeah, so there's a couple things 
that I did um, with that. So one of them was I, I had a, a form that parents, if, whenever parents wanted to get an insight about what was going on in the classroom, they would just fill this form out. And uh, what it would do is they would put the dates um, of, 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 of uh, that starting Monday. So what, what is the Monday? What is the Monday of, of, of the week you're, you're referring to? And it would actually, I would use a formula called VLOOKUP, um, which would then correlate the date to the assignments that we're working on for that unit. And it would automatically populate an email saying, uh, based on uh, uh, based based on your request, these are the things we're working on in class. These are the projects that will be due and their due dates. Please let me know if you have any questions about them. And boom, that was an automatic email sent home. I didn't touch it unless the parent wanted to do a follow-up email and ask me some questions about the email that came in. That was one of them that I did. Um, another one that I did was um, after every test, um, after every test that was given in class, uh, it correlated an email home with their percentage. And so if, if they got a percentage above 90, it said, congratulations, your, your son or daughter um, received an A on their last exam. And I said, I know how hard uh, your student works in class. And it automatic emailed home and parents would email me saying, nobody ever emails us telling what our son has done well. Or nobody has ever emailed us saying our daughter has done well. Um, and, and think about that for a second. You have a student doing very well in class. No, a teacher's not emailing, right? They're sending a lot of emails home about your student is falling behind or they're missing all this work. And sometimes we forget to email the parents just saying, I just want to send this email out and say, you know, your son or your daughter is just doing amazing work in class. And I appreciate, um, you know, the, um, the adult right? They're turning out to be. I mean, that is an amazing email. I got a lot of parent buy-in because a lot of parents said, this is the first email we received all year about our daughter because their daughter's doing so well, right? Um, but I would also be able to send home an email saying, you know, your, your, uh, your son, or, and it would automatically trigger, like if the student was a male or female, it would automatically trigger the word son or automatically trigger the word daughter. So it wasn't generic like son and or daughter. It was right on with the, the the gender preference of the student and that would easily send home a message the parent says any student who got below a 60 uh it's like say hey, hey you know your son um just received a, a, a six a below a 60 on the last exam no worries we have a second look coming up next week here's some extra material they can go over this weekend if they would like to uh, uh study a little bit more um, and then also I will be holding some study time in class at lunch um, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, if they would like to show up to those as well. Just showing that there's support there for that student to get information or to, to raise their grade a little bit. That communique was key. But here's the problem again, Kyle. Parents would only get that if they checked their email. Parents would only get that if they checked their email. So I added one last thing in to these questions. I asked the parent, would you prefer a text message or email or both? And they, they chose. Um, if they chose text message or email and text message, I asked uh, the question, what is your phone number? What is your carrier? And what is your preferred language? And what that did was this. Every phone number has a uh, email to text message option. As long as you know the carrier code, you can add that. You can go, you can add, it'll be the phone number at 
att.net. And that will send a, a text message to that phone number of AT&T. Uh, your, your phone number at verizon.wireless. If you know that, and they're all out there, you can actually create an email to text message routine. And when they get that text message that's sent by you as an email and they reply to that text message, guess what? It comes to you as an email. And if you reply to that, it goes back to them as a text message. It was seamless. And all I did was I utilized uh, a, a formula in Google Forms uh, called concatenate, which just means to merge things together. And it merged the phone number with their phone code. And then uh, if they chose a different language other than English in, in the formula that would send out the email text message, it would automatically translate it to whatever language they chose. Uh, it was awesome. And I got so, so, so many more communiques go through that I did not change it. So if anybody wants access to that, um, just reach out to me at Joe Marquez seven zero, and I can give you the template of everything that, that has the codes already ready to go and all that stuff. So definitely check it out because it, it was a game changer in communicating with my parents because again, it went right to their cell phone, no email. It was a text message. Yeah, I just Googled this while you were talking about it. And I just found a website that was actually updated on July 1st. So it's relatively current and it has all sorts of carriers on here, what you have to have. So uh, AT&T, Boost Mobile, Cricket, um, Sprint, T-Mobile, Verizon, Virgin Mobile. So there's all these on this website here that talks about it. And it is in general, just insert the 10 digit number. So one area code, and then their seven digit number at, so for example, ATT at txt.att.net. So for Verizon, which is the carrier that I use, it's the 10 digit number at vtext.com. So just, that's an incredible way to do it. So now do we have a video on the Sons of Technology YouTube channel that goes over how to set that up in your form or anything like that? Or is that something that they would have to get a hold of us to talk about? Yeah, so I haven't made one yet because it's it's so in depth, you know, and like you, you I, like I would need to point them to the video on how to do an add in. Right. And then I would have to point them to the video on what VLOOKUP is and how it's utilized and then how to use concatenate and then um, how to use formula. I mean, th there's so many layers to this um, that that the video itself, I did make it. It was over 20 minutes long. And I'm like, I can't post this. Nobody's going to watch a 20 minute long video. Um, but if people want this, I can definitely uh, work with you on it or you can go to this bit.ly it's bit.ly slash email to text and it walks you through how to do it and it gives you all of the templates that i created with all the uh, phone codes and uh language codes already built into it and if you would like to try this out on your own i have a form that i made that you can fill out your name and your phone number. And trust, I won't spam you or anything. It's it's it'll go it'll but it'll send you an automatic text response in the language that you chose, just so you see that it actually works. And if you want to check that one out, you just go to bit.ly bit.ly slash email to text form, all one word, all lowercase, um, and you can check out that form and and see how 
the email will come to your phone. And if you reply to it, it'll go to my email. Now, when you set all this up, I imagine that it probably, there was a lot of background work to doing it. And you probably spent a lot of time setting it up. But first question is, how long did it take you to set that up? And second question, how much work do you have to do to maintain that once you have it set up? Uh, so once I have it set up, I don't have to maintain it at all. Um, it's as soon as a parent fills the form out uh, and asks a question, it automatically sends them a response that says, thank you so much for contacting me. I'll be right back to you with an answer. And it shoots me an email with what they asked with, with the automatic reply to their, um, to their phone and I'll reply back. And so it takes nothing to set it up. And I'm only responding to text to emails, but it's sending it to them as a text message. So it's awesome for that. Um, to set it up, it took me a while to find all of the phone codes and get them into a VLOOKUP type table. Um, and then to go through all of the Google uh, codes that would actually translate through as an email. Um, and so, but I, I geek out on this stuff. So it did take me a good three to four hours to research, implement, and put everything together. Uh, but again, if you go to bit.ly, bit.ly slash email to text, it's all there for you. All the work that I did, you just make a copy and you're off to the races. Um, and uh, again, if you have any questions about it, just you know, uh, listen, to, uh, go to at uh, Joe Marquez 70 on Twitter and we can help you out. And I actually think I did a super share episode about this um, through Q. Um, so if that is the case, I will find it and repost it um, through the uh, through my Twitter, Kyle's Twitter, and the Sons of Technology Twitter. Now, is there a limit as to how many messages can be sent this way through having it triggered on the, the add-on that you're using? Because I know that some atoms are going to a paid model where you, you're limited. So is this the, the one that you're using for this? Is this one limited at all? Uh, through when you're, you're going to be using this through your school account uh, and your school account should have a 1500 email a day limit. Um, so you should be golden <laughs> uh, to do this uh, uh, as, as long as you don't have 1500 parents that you're emailing daily. Very nice. So, well, as we're kind of starting to wind down here, I mean, we're back at the beginning of the school year here communication is always key, but really at this time of year. So we're really hoping that over the course of this last almost hour that you were able to pick up on some things here to maybe add something to your toolbox or maybe take something away. Maybe you were one of those people that had the eight different ways and maybe you realized that, hey, maybe I need to pull back a little bit. So um, we apologize again for not getting this episode out last week like we normally do on our two-week schedule, but the good news is you will not have to wait three weeks for our next episode because we want to get back to our every two weeks back on the schedule we were on before. So we're actually going to be kicking one out again in a week. So you get to hear two episodes in a span of a week. Yeah, I mean, and then that, you know, we'll do that for you, right? We'll do that for you. Plus, we missed last week. But yes, we want to get back on track, back on schedule um, for you. And, and I also want to say this. I want to say thank you so much to, to all of our amazing listeners who reached out to us and said that they really enjoyed our last episode on all the different updates that were, were put out there by all the different tools. Um, it said it saved them a lot of time and effort to research those themselves. And they, they're even 
they 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 heard some updates that they missed. Um, so I just I appreciate you reaching out and that that communication to us we absolutely love. And I also want to say that uh, we we let people know um, last week or the week before when the last time we recorded that um, if 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 you're if you want a sticker pack if you're a listener if you're a longtime listener and a supporter of the EdTech Army and you would like a sticker pack from us just reach out to us on Twitter now just DM me at Joe Marquez seven zero um, and, and uh, direct message me and and Kyle and um, you know we send us your address and we will send you a sticker pack I sent out about fifteen sticker packs last week uh and just for uh individuals who said they enjoyed last episode and would love to rock some edtech army uh stickers on their laptop this year so if you're one of those people that want to rock some edtech army stickers uh yeah just shoot us uh, a direct message with your uh your address and we'll shoot you a, a snail mail uh envelope full of uh stickers that you can start uh, adoring your uh your laptop with that's always a good thing is to, to get actual mail not an email. So getting something in the mail that that's always a good thing right there. So no, absolutely. But, uh, there's, there's, there's no better joy uh, than, than opening a letter that was, uh, that was, that, that was handwritten with your name on it from somebody else. That connection I think is something we've lost in through technology. Um, so, Hey, you know what? Let's, let's tell people, uh, you know, find a time this week to, even if you, work with this person directly, or even if you live in the same town, or if you don't live in the same town, find somebody that you think a direct written letter would brighten their day and send them a letter, handwritten, not typed, not printed, and handwrite their address and from you. Just just because I think we've lost that the beauty of that communication uh, and the thoughtfulness that it invokes. So uh, I'd love to to know if you do that because um, you know we're, we are the 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 ed tech army, the sons of technology, but we do find beauty in uh, our traditional ways that uh, maybe you know have gone by the wayside. I know Kyle, you're a big LP guy, right? And you kind of got me into records recently, and sure. I've never owned a record player before in my life. Um, but instead of just saying, "Hey Alexa, play Metallica." Um, I actually take out the Ride the Lightning record, put it on the record player, and I listen to it, and it's a different feeling entirely because there's beauty in simplicity uh, and tactile things. So hopefully all of you listening can find that beauty as well. Yeah, I, I'm i one of those people that, yes, I am that kind of vinyl nerd. I'm not on a level where of some other people that have hundreds upon hundreds of albums, but I have a pretty decent collection going, and I, I liked the sound of it. I like that little crackle that's in the background, especially on the older records. Um, holding the vinyl itself is nice. Dropping that needle, looking through the liner notes of the album is really nice. And then I've really discovered some websites now as of late that they sell records of bands that are reissuing and some of them are these like special edition one. I just got recently a copy of the crew from seven seconds. Uh, the album's almost 40 years old and they reissued it. Um, they only made 500 copies and I was able to pre-order one and uh, get a co copy of that. And there's all this extra stuff inside the liner notes, which was incredible to see. And then I also got uh, the 40th anniversary of 
an album from the circle jerks that was a really good one as well i will not say the name of the album because this is um we don't want the explicit rating on our podcast that the name of the album is something may get us that e on for explicit but that's another one there and then i actually went to a concert uh, last night uh, prior to this recording and i was disappointed that they didn't have any vinyl for sale uh, that a lot of bands uh pre-pandemic were selling vinyl at their shows and this was one last night they didn't have any the only vinyl they did have were signed framed copies of albums from rise against but uh they were 750 dollars, mm. and i could not justify a signed framed copy for that much because then i'm not even gonna listen to it at that point it's just gonna stay behind glass That's but yeah right. it's um the the vinyl definitely has uh something that you don't get from the digital or telling google to play something so yeah, you know, we'll, we'll end this episode right now with the idea of communication is a key cornerstone component of any education trifecta. And the education trifecta is parent, teacher, student. In order to make the uh, educational experience of all of those individuals, all of those stakeholders worth anything, communication is key. So you have to find the way. Find that key that unlocks the door to that communication. And that's that is a conversation that is completely up to your school community. And we hope that you find a way uh, to make it work for you. So thank you for allowing us to communicate with you uh, these last two and a half, three years that we've been doing this. And we appreciate each and every one of you. And we hope that you have had a great start to your school year and we hope that this school year is as memorable as you want it to be so thank you so much for listening and have yourselves a wonderful wonderful day